are live. Welcome to another episode of Unscripted. Uh, I have a great pleasure to introduce Joe Mizell. How are you this morning? How are you? I am well, thankfully. A lot of things going around, so grateful for that. How about you? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I, uh, I met you at an event in New York City, and I was fascinated about the uh, the topics, which was visibility in the enterprise. We'll, we'll kind of dive into that. But before we dive into that, I'd love to hear your journey. Uh, you know, how did you get into cyberspace? Uh, in, in just just your progression and then we'll talk about the uh, the cool guitar that you have on your wall <laughs> all right david well thanks so yeah joe mazel um and uh, i've been in the it space for for a very long time across uh, uh, all aspects of it but long story short you know came up largely as an as an engineer i consider myself a, a recovering engineer an architect um spent a you know many many years in in financial services at various firms uh, including Credit Suisse for for a long stint, doing uh, infrastructure engineering, moved into enterprise architecture, then got the opportunity about seven years ago to move over to the business side of IT and actually and work for a large uh, system integrator, Dimension Data at the time, which became NTT, um, and so have since moved into uh, areas that that were actually very close to or adjacent to things in my career around engineering and architecture. We were always interacting with the operational teams, right? When anything that you built, you had to to engineer and, and architect so that it could be operational. And, and so the move then into observability and IT operations was kind of just a natural shift, something I always cared a great deal about and noticed that organizations that succeeded with their engineering products always did a good job with getting things to the operation side, including getting the security pieces right. And, and so... But you were not always like an architect. Like it, it took you a while to to gather that experience in dealing with large enterprise. Do you remember like the early days? Did you have to you know fake it until you make it? Because you were dealing with large enterprise, a lot of issues, and coming in as a subject matter expert and trying to figure things out. And and it's such a moving target, right? Like you're, you know, technology is ever changing. You know, whatever visibility was always there, but now it's called something else, and it's always like this shift in in technologies. How did you manage to, uh, to you know, kind of do this on the job training and become very proficient in the space? That's funny. I think it's always that, isn't it? It's it's always fake it till you make it to to some degree. Being being, or as I like to say, being a week ahead in the reading, being keeping up, and, and we all, I think all of all all technologists that have had success in this area do this. You keep up with the latest trends. You understand what's going. You do your very very best to avail yourself of whatever information is available. That started with me back. You know, I, I actually got completely started in this in this business, putting up one of the very first businesses on the internet. Uh, it involved music and learning, just learning how do, how did we encode music and video back in the '90s, and then parlaying that into providing audio and video online services for for a, a bank, et cetera. Always just trying to stay one week ahead in the reading. And it really isn't. And candidly, I'm still doing the same thing, to be honest. <laughs> and it's a very candid uh, response. But even with that said, there's a certain aptitude that you had to have to be successful in your role. And I always ask this people that are in the space for a while, you know, what do you think made you successful? You are a musician as well. This is your kind of your side passion. If you use, but and by the way, I've I've seen it's really remarkable. You'd be amazed how many musicians there are in the cybersecurity space. You know, you roll your eyes because you know it's true. Oh. And is there a correlation associated with like being 
music, musically inclined and have the aptitude to to provide cybersecurity, um, you know, services and have that knowledge? David, I, I there has to be. I mean, at our at our, at our company's uh, annual kickoff, we'd have we'd have multiple bands of employee, you know, multiple bands playing, comprised of employees. Um, oh, and it, it's very consistent in IT and in security. It comes up over and over and over again. I don't, I you know, maybe I don't know. What are your thoughts on on what that connection is? I don't know. If, are you a musician? And is that something? <laughs> are you passionate about music? No, I I, pl I played the keyboard when I was growing up as a kid, but you know, then I abandoned it. Um, I guess because uh, you know, there's some other hobbies I've I've, I've uh, came across along the way. I, maybe it's the first of all, I as a musician, you have to be consistent. You know, in terms of your learning, you can't just you can't just become a, a, a like a guitar player overnight. You have to spend some time in into learning and practicing, and I think that's the same in cybersecurity. So that discipline associated with acquiring knowledge over time is something that lends itself really well to be to become a cybersecurity professional. So I think that's kind of number one thing that I, and again, I'm just kind of brainstorming here what that would that be, and they're saying that music. Um, has a lot of logic it's you know there are the mathematicians that are also musicians so there's some correlation between the two and in cybersecurity is a lot you know let's face it a lot of zeros and ones uh you know the underlying affected so i think there's something to be said about that so those are kind of my my two cent uh, hypothesis about why was that the case well, you're I, a, you know, yeah you know you're i i, I think you're, you're spot on and I'll go. I'll go. Uh, go just a little bit further and see see if you agree with this. That uh, cybersecurity people, information technology people, have really strong minds for abstraction um, and con and conceptual uh, and and conceptual learning. If you if you struggle with with broad concepts, uh, then applying those right to specific logical things, uh, you'll struggle in technology. And I think music lends itself to someone who has a, a sort of a conceptual mind. Uh, you have to think abstractly in our business and abstract music can be, not that music isn't, isn't very real and concrete when it's played, but there are so many concepts that go with it. I think it draws a certain kind of person that is, that is really able and capable uh, with concepts. Yeah, I love that. And it's, it's the interpretation of, how you play that instrument i think matters and i think that's the same for you know there's a lot of leeway associated with you know for example even devising security controls you can you know there's nist standards and then you can you got it can interpret it in several different ways so i think uh and there's a lot of creativity and it's funny because creativity and cybersecurity is not they're not synonymous uh, but i think there's there's definitely something to be said about uh, being creative so uh and so i you know maybe towards the end if you're comfortable maybe you can bust you know a few tunes we'll see um, I'll, I'll spare you <laughs> or maybe hey, another so time this is, this is your chance to do a debut of of you know your skill set maybe we can do that for the next episode <laughs> i appreciate um, that though so, <laughs> and but you know i had i've had a musician that um did a phenomenal uh job at busting uh, the piano he had the piano in the back uh, grand piano and it just turned around and, and it was pretty amazing it was that's cool that's really cool so let's talk about 
the evolution of the enterprise and somebody who's done it for a while and we've seen the explosion of architecture across the enterprise uh so back in the 80s and 90s people started to get like you know firewalls and it was the 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 chart was pretty straightforward it was a a perimeter there were servers there were endpoints and everything was kind of interconnected with some sort of maybe they had vlans but it was overall it was fairly limited fast forward to today and the organizational chart looks like in terms of the architecture looks almost like a like an unbelievable spaghetti you know has its own being almost right Um, yes why is that why we haven't figured out how to make it uh, more streamlined and maybe maybe on the flip side of that or just to add on to that i think this is why new companies that are maybe founded two, three, five years ago have the advantage because they can just create something from scratch and don't have to to go over the legacy, all the legacy networks and so on. To, and they can just create something from from like just just from now moving forward instead of just dealing with all the spaghetti stuff on the back. It's interesting you say that. I was I was actually thinking about that right right before our, our discussion about the difference between a kind of born in the cloud. Or cloud native organization and and most organizations which are which predate uh, cloud and and DevOps concepts right so organizations um, built their you know their 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 people structures or organizational structures around again exactly as as you outlined the the kind of legacy way of doing things the problem is obviously they're still doing those things. So in that structure, when you add more complexity, and that's really what we're, that's, that's why you said there's a complex and crazy org structures are just mirroring the complexity of the technology, right? So as we, as we layer in more and more complex technology and concepts, as we talked about things like zero trust and other, other, other ways of organizing uh, networks and applications, uh, the, for, for worse, I think the organizational structures are mirroring that complexity much to many companies' detriment, right? And so what I see over and over is that when, especially in the, in the operational environment, when things break or things go wrong, it's very hard to figure out what's happening because you're working across many, many different teams. Combine that with a understandable and relentless drive to push costs, you know, to, to get rid of cost by using sourcing partners, et cetera. And now not only do you have a very complex organizational structure because you have domain expertise, you have people who are in their specialized area. It's understandable that let's say cloud will be stood up as a new silo, but then you introduce a third party to manage that and, and operate that. And you need to now have a third party who is only interested in, in working on that particular domain communicate effectively, right? With all of the other uh, domains. So I think your observations are are on the money, and this is this is what you know my, my team deals with day in day out. It's a very difficult problem. And and so, but when somebody think uh, observability, you know, observability, and then visibility, and you know, this is not new. This always been around. So if, I remember NetFlow aggregation yeah. for networks was a thing. There were a lot of companies who were doing that for a while. Yeah, network logs. All that was run for ages and ages. Oh yeah. What changed? What What are we like? Why is it all of a sudden became front and center? Is something that was kind of brand new, even though we've had some 
some of these capabilities for a while? Yeah, I think that I think the answer is that it's it's as so a couple of things. Customer expectation and employee expectation has changed because some companies actually do that do operate their environments extremely effectively. They set the bar. So the consumer expectation of the performance of, let's say, an app, uh, you know, on on your phone or a website has gone through the roof. People don't explain I mean, the way. So, for example, the way Amazon works, right, it works very, very well. And it's very, very rare that you have a slowdown or, or a problem. Um, obviously, you know, they, they that's a whole other discussion, how they actually achieve that. But the point is, it sets people and people's expectations, customer expectations, very, very high. So, you know, a, a biz, businesses now across the board find themselves under tremendous pressure to provide that kind of experience. Same goes for employees, frankly. In the, you know, you and I are sitting here talking, you know, through through uh, through this technology, which again, it's been around for a while. To your point, but now it's it's date it's we're relying on. It. I might have come into your studio, uh, you know, four years ago. Right now we're relying on this, and the expectation is it's just going to work. All of this has is very complex, and so and we also, or, Joe, we have not to just to you to just to add to this. We yep. also have zero tolerance to any any latencies, any right. lags. Right, it, you know, like it, I, it's like in the early days when people are expected to send an email and receive an email within the you know ten seconds. Right, and so. 45 seconds was unacceptable right because the executives were, were oh did you get it i think now we're with zero tolerance for anything zero yeah, right? zero zero and 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 you'll know it's better and also the expectation that things are secure as well and that there will not be break there will not be break-ins there will not be problems from a security perspective despite the fact that we know that the threats are are greater than ever right so all of these expectations are creating so to, to kind of uh, you know finish out the question, are creating this very high expectation that's all the way up now at the sea level, right? CEOs are very aware of this pressure because boy, do they hear about it when something goes wrong. And frankly, they're my, you know, my observation, no pun intended, is that, is that a lot of executives on the business side uh, of the equation are actually very discouraged. They, they feel that this is an intractable problem in many cases, if they're, they're struggling because of the complexity, you just outlined these crazy org structures, the number of players involved, including internal teams, outsourced teams, et cetera, it seems like an intractable problem for many, many senior leaders. And so how do you approach, how you and your team approach it? Such a, it's a, so first of all, the fact that it's a tremendous problem, it means that it's worth solving, right? You start, so there's, there's money to be made and there's also you're, you're providing some serious value because, because, because of the immensity of, of the issue. How do you then come come over? Like, where do you start? It's almost like, okay, you have to slice and dice the issue into the smaller manageable chunks. We can't just say, okay, we, we you know, we're we're going to solve this this tremendous problem. You know, where do you start when you come into first into organization and they tell you we we can't see what we're doing? Where do you start? Where do you, how do you investigate? What's your first steps you take, and how do you make sure that you're approaching it in, in the way that you know you're going to be able to solve it, make an impact? Yeah. So great question. Um, it's something that we, 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 we've spent a lot of time on developing and we have, we have a methodology which involves, you know, a, an initial workshop, but we, we approach it holistically, first of all, because in, in the observability market, there obviously are lots of technology vendors. They want to come in, 
find a gap in technology, sell technology. Um, that's great. Sometimes that, that's a really important piece of it. But kind of per our conversation so far, it's actually about the organization and the process. So in order to do that, if we can get the right players into a workshop setting, we we do user stories, right? And, and, and understand uh, kind of day in the life of various players within the organization. If we can get a business user in, we ask them, walk us through a, a problem that you had. How did it unfold? Talk us through. So that way we see, how did they get alerted to the problem? Then what was the incident management or problem management process like? How did it actually flow? If we can get, and ideally, you, have, you obviously have technologists on there as well. Walk us through how you were alerted to this issue, but then not just, oh, you didn't have this kind of tool, but how did it flow through various resolver groups, right? Did you call a war room together and get everybody together to try to fix it? Why did that have to happen? Why couldn't you see what was going on? We pretty quickly start to peel it back and see where there are gaps both in, well, in technology and process and in organization and in leadership, right, to, to help with these things. So, and we, we know that there, are, that there are organizations that we see organizations that do this better than others. And so we can advise on how to structure, uh, how an organizations can get structured um, around, again, not, yes, they're tech. We, we love selling tech and we're, we're good at it. But we also see, again, how that tech is deployed and then how it's managed and operated is also what we see as critical to making steps. It doesn't get better overnight, but taking steps to having much better, a much more responsive organization when there are challenges and problems. And is everybody receptive to that? I mean, some don't Joe, like some people just say, Hey, listen, forget about the whole strategic thing. Like just me. I mean, just, just, I need something tactical. I have this issue happen. I just wanted to come in and solve it and sure. I'm willing to pay for it is because sure. it's not always about this holistic view. Sure. And, and we are delighted to place a particular technology in that an organization will, you know, feels that will really address it. And sometimes that helps enormously. If there's a gap in internet visibility, for example, and synthetics are required in order to, to find out, you know, where stuff is breaking down, maybe it died, you know, the, the things are, are slowing down. This happens a lot at a firewall, for example. We just want to see that. Okay, we can address that tactically. Um, and it, and and it will likely create some some kind of incremental improvement, uh, but generally uh, there is always room for improving how that information that is gathered from the tool is then leveraged across the various service management processes. And that's and that's the key, right? So there are a lot of systems out there that are spitting out information, but then it's part of it is the correlation between all the different various systems. Right. And making sense of it. It's not, you know, there's just so much data being generated by some of these tools, whether it's the, you know, the SIM, whether it's the, the log files, the firewalls, the endpoint. I mean, it's just, you know, the application monitoring tool. How do you, how do you then take and make, you know, make sense of all of it in such a manner that is useful? Because it's not just about collecting and, and monitoring. It's also making use of it. Yeah. And so you raised, actually, thank you for, for, for bringing that up in the sense that, you know, so we're talking about what's the problem, right? Well, the avalanche of data is also part of the problem as well. It, 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 it's really overwhelming. There, there's no, the, so I wish I could say, oh, 
you throw it all into an aggregation or you know some type of analytics engine, and it will spit out beautiful correlations for you. Yeah, right. Magic, magic graphs, right? And oh, there's the problem. So first of all, to that point though, organizations really. I've been in um, consulted for a, 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 a household named software company, very very sophisticated engineering operation, and they actually took that approach. Where they where they pump the data into um, one of the big uh, I think they were using Wavefront one of one of the big kind of uh, correlation engines, um, and it actually worked very well because it was being run by software engineers who could go in and and on the fly like build out the data the, the right data models within that tool to correlate things effectively and keep that maintained. They, in other words, the engineers involved with the telemetry understood also how to use the observability tools to effectively, or to make them effective in getting meaningful correlations in data. Uh, the, so those those types of approaches where you use an analytics tool or a bit, you know, a sort of a, a data lake type approach, they can work, but organizations are often underestimate the amount of love and care and feeding that those systems require. Um, but many companies are, are marching down that path. The other, well, I would say it's not, it's not an either or thing, but critical to all of this would be having some success just within your own domain. So you use the example of flows and, and network. Having a highly skilled network team, though, that can make sense of all of the good telemetry data that's coming off the network and then knows how to share that data effectively across teams makes an enormous difference. So, yes, you could look for something whiz-bang in order to try to pull it all together and give you meaningful meaningful telemetry or, or, or correlation and aggregation from that telemetry. It can be done, but just as effective or, or in parallel, um, having or a team see that their, their telemetry, their data, their, what they are able to see is also valuable data to other teams. And have them develop a sense of accountability to making that data correct and available to other teams is actually a big step for many organizations. Most the problem is a lot of organizations don't have the luxury of having uh, hiring. And I know there's, there's there's quite a few hires now for people that are responsible for that. But there's a lot of a lot of companies that don't have the resources to yet hire yeah. another yet or create a yet another team to deal with it. What do they do? That is correct. Um, and, and so look, we, we, I've been making the case again, that <clears throat> there has to be a, a locus of accountability in the organization for this. That's, that's the case that I made uh, you know, at the, at the, uh, at the event that we attended together, um, that, that there really should be a chief observability officer along, you know, alongside, uh, the CISO, right. It's, it's a sort of comparable because it's this cross cutting concern. Um, organizations that don't have the resources to do this, obviously, will, will be cha their challenge in security, et cetera. But the answer is likely similar to what it is in security, which is you turn to partners that can provide this kind of capability. Um, that's something that we're doing and are, are very proud of. We have services in this area that can provide that ongoing capability. Um, you know, and and or you look at again, you look at the business criticality of this. And look to put some focus on it from a budget perspective, the same way that security, you know, usually gets its, you know, the right focus. But David, I wonder what how would you advise an organization that is is resource constrained on security? 
what would you what would you advise uh, them there? I'm, I'm wondering if the answers are similar. Yeah, very very much so. Uh, you can see that the, one of the fastest growing areas of insecurity is actually the MSSPs, the managed service providers, yeah. um, because they just cannot. First of all, it's not their core function. That's number one. And they can't they can't train people, keep keep them. It's very costly. And, and so they outsource a lot of these functions. And I'm assuming that there's going to be observability function that you can outsource to have somebody monitor um, and, and just do that because it's just there's no possible way for you to have that in-house. You know, we, we think so as well. So we, we think that's a, a growth market and we're, we're making investments there for sure. Now, tell me. How can you be proactive about this? Because a lot of this stuff is break-fix, meaning that people come to you when there's, a, there's an issue. Is there any way for companies to start figuring out, you know, like looking at degradation of, of certain elements within the network or degradation of multiple applications before that really becomes an issue? Yeah. And then on the flip side of that, is there preventative me measures they can take? Like, you know, like, you know, you can't, you take your car and, one, you know, once every 5,000 miles and change the oil. Is there something you can do on, on, the, on the visibility side? I'm going to give you a very consulty, consulted, you know, classic, kind of a very, oh, perfect, really a very boring answer, to be honest. Like, you know, because the answer is, is kind of boring, but it's really difficult for, for uh, IT teams to do for whatever reason. We see this over and over and over again. It's about really aligning to the business stakeholders. I, again, sorry to, <laughs> we've heard that advice a million times, but what that does is it allows the IT teams to focus on the critical areas. You're not, so solving the problem writ large. And that was one of the challenges you, I know I love that you brought up the flow thing. There were, there were flow aggregators, companies put them in and said, Hey, we got all this stuff. Everybody go ahead and use it. And they're like, I don't really know what problem this solves. Like, this is great. But by aligning your observability strategy and your monitoring to business KPIs, and it's astonishing, even the most significant, uh, 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 sophisticated organizations don't do this consistently. You'll find that it helps with budget. It will help focus your projects. Perhaps flow really is, uh, you know, really is critical to, like, you have a remote office strategy where you're running SD-WAN and it's absolutely critical that you understand what's happening in, at, at different areas. And you're going to focus on gathering flows from those very specific areas, right, that support a critical business initiative rather than trying to, to deploy it all at once. That's the advice we give. It's advice that, and, and, and we help our clients achieve that by literally visually depicting how particular observability technologies align to business outcomes. And it's amazing how it shakes loose both budget and focus. Now, is cloud first companies, don't I have to worry about it because the onus is on the cloud service providers or is it still the same issues, just they're just somewhere else? Like in terms no, of- No, it's, oh. it's, 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 it's the same. Um, you know, they- Again, a cloud-first company is still going to have application code that goes wrong. They're still going to have virtual networks that that don't work properly. Uh, they're still going to have some type of compute, even if everything is in Kubernetes clusters and it's you know automatically sizing for them. It might be a little bit different how they have to gather that telemetry data. Looks a little different from cloud providers, 
but know that the challenge is the same. And as as they grow, right, the they'll they'll face the same problems of having the right process in place, of having communi- issues between communications between specialized teams. So I think it's it's the same problem, it just shifts a bit, moves around. And in, in the cybersecurity space, there are certain levels of maturity, right? There are companies that are, it's almost like there's a curve where, you know, some organization are just, you know, they're way ahead, you know, the financial, for example, are more advanced. And then, you know, your manufacturers may be like a little less. Is that a, there's a curve in the maturity levels in terms of where the organizations are uh, in terms of, of visibility and the observability? Yeah, like, thanks. It's a great question. Like so the short answer is yes. Um, and there have been various maturity models in this space that have come out. The one that that we use and we like came from the Open Network Users Group, uh, ONUG, and it was developed by industry. So rather than a consultant to Gartner Forrester, IDC developing a model and saying, here, this is what we see. Rather, you had uh, large banks, retailers, manufacturers get together and say, this is what we want. Right, and this is what we see. We really like it. Um, classic, you know, kind of uh, one through five, zero through four, uh, your preferred enumeration. Um, and but at the end, that the highest level of maturity is complete alignment to the business, business transactions, and obviously then automation uh, of actions based on what your observability tools see. Uh, starting at you know the most basic level would just be having CPU, disk memory uh, uh, data available, then all the way up through kind of the interim layers of, of more sophisticated monitoring, including synthetics, APM, proper NPM, those sorts of things. So there very much is, and it's one that we lean on heavily, and it really helps organizations see where they are and, and then where they want to go, where they want to get to. And where do you start in the journey? So in the cybersecurity space, I tell you, okay, there's a certain level of hygiene just, you know, go, go down, come down to the basics. So have, you know, your two-factor, multi-factor turned on, um, you know, privilege escalation, uh, you know, just you have basic things you can do to elevate your security levels in, to the nth degree just by doing these basic. Are anything like that in, in your world? Yeah. So every, every organization has had monitoring. Right. They, they, so that there's always a starting place. Everyone has monitoring, just like you have a basic security, uh, you know, footprint. Um, what we see, though, is even in that basic monitoring, there are often multiple overlapping tools. There's also po- often poor data sharing between teams. Uh, alignment to service management processes are not there. Um, so the foundation to grow so is, is, is frequently not in place. And so that's a great starting point. It's just like, where where are you with your kind of core monitoring capability? Because we're going to need to build on that. We can't do without that. We're not going, it's not a, we're not just going to magically, oh, buy, get this tool and come in and, and then and then it's all done. You're going to be building on that foundation. If the foundation is shaky, we want to know and we want to, we want to fix that foundation first before we start adding in additional layers of complexity. But, you know, speaking of which, if you if you go down that path and say, you know, like, <clears throat> let's say you're responsible for that project and you come back to the CIO and say, hey, I, I need this tool. And they come back and say, well, hold on for a second. Do we have like four, five, six different systems in place that's supposed to do monitoring? Yeah. You know, how do you then justify revisiting this topic and create, you know, creating yet a new project associated with something like this. Yeah. 
Well, there's a reason that we're there, that that if, if we are we are brought in, right? And and it could be because exactly as you say, we're actually we're we're doing this right now. We we have a we have a, a, a tools assessment that we do, and we most of the time we we find exactly what the CIO said, which is wait, I remember signing off on you know four different purchase orders for stuff that kind of does the same thing, but they said they really needed it. And it's not cheap, Joe. This it is, is not, not I mean, cheap. Is infrastructure is very costly. So we're we're brought in to egg to provide that you know out, outside set of eyes to to advise on consolidation of those tools. You definitely have overlap here. You need to you need to I you know I know this was the network team's favorite tools. This was the data center team's favorite tools, but they really do the same thing. You need to consolidate there, drive those costs out, and then let's reinvest that where you have gaps because you also have gaps here. You're not you're not actually looking at your paths to cloud. For example, uh, you're not keeping an eye on on your DNS services in the cloud, right? And so when and we know, and then anecdotally, we 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 look at where there's where there'd been specific outages and problems. We say, had you had your your core monitoring in place plus this additional layer, you would have caught it. Let's drive the costs out of those you know those redundant tools and invest them into where you have gaps, and let's get the process right in the meantime. In the, don't you get a pushback for some of these uh, business units or IT units to say, "Hey, we, don't take this tool away. This is what we use all the time," because it's all about resistance to change, and you're dealing a lot with people in multiple in in the large organization, especially you have multiple business units that are responsible for certain areas of the business. And now that okay, you tell them, "Okay, hold on for a second. This tool is redundant." Or I want you to use this other tool or consolidate tools. How do you deal with that kind of, you know, kind of nuance in terms of the who does what in the organization? You you are clearly very experienced in this space. You know how how things actually go in the real world. Yeah, that happens every time. And again, I'm, I have to give like the the consultant answer. It's it's trite because Love it's it. true, which is you you need to start the project with executive sponsorship. Right. So if you if in the initial project kickoff, you had the CIO or, or C-level person in there um, and it's their initiative and they're pushing the tools assessment, it goes a lot better than if it's if it's done from, you know, just from a from a lower level operations team is the sponsor. Um, they start arguing and, and then no one really has the authority to say this is what we're this is what's for breakfast. Here's what we're doing. And so it always goes more smoothly with executive alignment. Uh, because then it, then it becomes very clear they're going to have to choose when you've got the CIO saying, pick one. And, and so observability, was it always this C-level discussion? Because cybersecurity just became one a certain time, I mean, maybe a few years back when yeah. all of a sudden they, there was liability associated with it, yeah. corporate liability and so on. Is this also true in, in this particular area? That's what we're seeing. Uh, we are seeing that that you know outages... Uh, prolonged slowdowns, uh, the, it, the business impact of that has made it a, a C-level or even board-level discussion. As I said, because of all the factors that we talked about, the relentless pressure from customers and employees, the avalanche of data, and, and, and you know, other, other factors, and the, of course, the complexity right, of, of these environments is now, again, has, has bubbled it up all the way to the board. And how do you justify the spend 
it, what's the ROI looks like? And I, I know in cybersecurity, you quantify the risk associated with, with potentially having a breach and what's that kind of cost you. And then, so you say, okay, that's the outcome where you reduce the risk by 50%. And so there's, there's certain almost like matrices you can use. How do you, how do you bring that over here? Yeah. So a couple of areas, I'll give, I'll give a concrete example of where we, we went into, we were working in healthcare. We were dealing with a hospital. They have an application that, uh, that organizes or, or controls or manages, it manages the right word, uh, blood transfusion, the, the blood bank app that, and that they, they can't provide transfusions of blood without this application telling them again, that, that the blood matches correctly. It's available here. You, this is something you cannot mess up. Mission you critical. Have, it's completely critical to patient care. They had a serious slowdown in this app where it was, I mean, it worked, but it was so slow that it impacted patient care negatively. Very serious consequences Joe, for not having proper observability on your system. Let's that sink in for a second. I think we have to pause for, because that's, that's some, some very, very serious consequences. And you didn't even say that it wasn't working. It was just, just a slowdown associated with it. Because sometimes you have to provide uh, blood transfusion like now. It's emergency. Wait. Yeah, you cannot wait for two minutes. It's, it's, it's so critical that patients can like just die. Um, that's, that's, that's insane. So that's a, something that's really critical. And I think that's really materialized the whole area because we, we talked about abstract. We, with this story, now you brought it into the, something that we can all relate to. That, that's right. And, and, and when we use that example with the hospital executives, it's, it's, there, there, there is a, a, a you know, there is a, it's, it's not, it, it no longer becomes even a question like, well, we have to deal with that. That's our, we, if we, if we, if we are, if we are not providing patient care or people are dying as a result of an application slowdown, then we're, we're not fulfilling our mission. And so the, that then it becomes, a, it's no longer a question of budgeted spend, right? It's, it now becomes unbudgeted spend. This absolutely has to be fixed now. So framing it in that, I mean, again, consultant talk, the business problem, but that's what we're, we were talking about here, that the hospitals are in the business of saving lives. And when it impacts patient care, uh, it, it changes the conversation with senior leaders. And I imagine security is the same thing as well. Yeah, but it, it, it's funny because it goes hand in hand. The cybersecurity was yeah. always most most times it was inverse to to usability, and so a lot of organizations have seen the cybersecurity controls hindering the system. So they'll turn off right. certain monitoring, they turn off. But you cannot do this. This is part of the areas I guess that you are also dealing with that you have to have. By design, you have to have the cybersecurity controls as part of the system because if you don't have those and you have an outage due to ransomware or have due to, to whatever the case may be, then the impact on the business is even more severe. So how do you how do you deal with that that again the inverse correlation between usability and cybersecurity and I would say cybersecurity and observability, right? How do you deal with that? It's actually it's actually I think probably to, uh, convenient for for me and, and our practice that, that that same that inverse relationship I don't think exists, um, but it, it it does introduce of course additional cost, new ways of organizing, additional discipline, um, 
an ongoing kind of strategic investment uh, with observability. But fortunately, uh, that particular and I, you know, the, the the difficulty of implementing cybersecurity controls in terms of how it impacts users is not the same, uh, frankly, for observability. That is where where it is quite different. It's same in terms of being a true cross-cutting concern. There are also important touch points between security and observability when it comes to things like log management, uh, packet capture, et cetera. These are, these are touch points. But that particular issue, fortunately, isn't there. It's really about the investment and the knowledge, right, to, to make it happen. You know, the skills are, are rare and difficult, also like security. And let me ask you this kind of a couple last questions. Um, did you have to have some difficult conversations with customers when you you go in and you observe, you know, pun intended, what they have in place and you have to completely re-architect or re-engineer the infrastructure due to the the complete lack of visibility and and it was just not done correctly to begin with. And and so it was a lot of money and maybe process re-engineering, uh, a lot of things associated with it that are, you know, very detrimental to the business, but it will cost a lot of money and we'll get a lot of pushback and so on. Do you have to make those uh, difficult conversations sometimes? Yeah, and yes, and that's a great question. Largely because the often, if, if they start with a technology, if they've been approached by a technology vendor, uh, they often, and then we're brought in as a partner, oftentimes the executive thinks that the acquisition of the technology is going to solve the whole problem. It's a very delicate and difficult conversation because yes, they do need the technology. We don't want to impede the technology sale. The hard conversation is, is the investment around that technology to make it successful in the organization. I imagine security has, has similar parallels and that, that is, that's a, a challenging conversation even for senior leaders. Because a lot of the the pieces that are in place, whether it's various outsourcing of, of of different components, whether it's siloing of teams, lack of span of control in order to affect this. Again, that's why I've proposed this idea that somebody needs to span all of this. Uh, that can be very hard to hear. An executive doesn't want to hear that if, if that oh I'm going to make this I'm going to buy millions of dollars worth of tech, and I may it may not solve the problem, uh, you know, completely. That that is always a hard conversation. Uh, and, and how do you deal with the complexity of the tools themselves? There are tools today are not standalone. There's just, you know, there's so many API calls. They, they run. Um, so it, sometimes a, a performance is impacted, not necessarily by the tool itself, but maybe the partner. Yeah. So that, so the, the, the way we deal with that is that we have to pick our spots. In other words, we can't, we can't partner with every tools vendor under the sun. We created, we created our own categorization of tools or areas of focus and we have specialists in each area and within that area they have their focus partners where they they have deep expertise um now within the reason we we created categories for example logs infrastructure tools network tools application performance management tools and user management observability tools those are the kind of broad categories we have specialists in each area and then there are many vendors within that area and we have to pick and focus. However, once you're, if you're an area, if you're an expert in log management, moving between the vendors within that space is much easier. Same thing with application performance management. But even then, the complexity is such that you have to kind of pick your spots and focus. And that's, and that's what we do. So we create that broad coverage, but we do have our, again, focus areas 
because the tools are complex and require a lot of time to become sort of truly expert and, and deep in. Did I answer you out of what you were asking? Yes, you did. And then last question I will ask you, what does an engagement look like? You know, in terms of like when you, does it, I mean, and we talk about holistic and you know, strategic kind of like, you know, come in and you, you help them through that journey because it's not something like that you come in and solve then overnight. Yeah. Uh, how do you, how do you provide that, that impact right away? Cause everybody wants to see like the ROI right away. And, and how do you design that journey and what does that look like on the other side? Yeah, thanks. We have, we have a process for that. So thanks. It's a great question because it is, it is challenging. So first of all, the initial engagement is designed to be really low friction. So two, two hour sessions to really understand, get under the covers a bit, understand what's going on from there. We provide a roadmap with a lot of options. So in other words, and, and we, we, we go through once we, once we kind of give a proposal, like here are many different areas where you could work. Um, we align those to business outcomes, right? As good consultants should. And then we work with the client to prioritize those different areas based on the kind of outcomes they're going to provide, because you're not going to solve this all at once. So again, start with something relatively low friction, meet for two, two hour sessions, get a, get a, a list of possible things that we could do to make improvements, prioritize those based on their impact to the business and, and get to work on chipping away at it. And how do you measure the success at the end? of the Yeah. So process? again, by those, by those business outcomes, you know, the, we, we, we try to develop KPIs based again on what we've identified as, as the critical, the critical business needs. So it could be something as simple as revenue in one case in a manufacturer, their, their critical metrics are is factory downtime, right? So we, we want, we want that, you know, factory downtime because of it outages, right? We want to see measurable reduction in these very, very high value KPIs and, uh, and, and over time, right? This doesn't happen instantly, but, but those are the sort of high level KPIs that we identify and then, and then measure ourselves against. And Joe, I'm assuming, you, you know, once the, the project's successful, you become the executive's best friend. Because they can, it's something that is, is so impactful to the business that they can take uh, credit for it. And because it's, it's, it's touches upon every, every aspect of the business and then they can take credit and they can make them look really great, you know, really great. You know, if, if, they, if it all turns out really well. I like that. Do you want, you could write our, our PR and marketing materials, but if that's. No, I'm just assuming. It's I'm the just truth. Thinking out loud. It is very true. It's the truth. And, in security, you do the job well, and yeah, you don't get hacked, and nobody comes over and pat you on the back. But for this, everybody's happy, and the the business is running like a well-oiled machine, and everybody's happy, including the customers, users, and internal users. I mean, that's that's you know, you people are going to notice. Dave, that that's very insightful of you. Uh, it's no accident that we're investing here because we found it to be very sticky for exactly the, you just, you just went through all the reasons that we find it to be from a, if, when you lead with advisory, um, we find that it, it has exactly the, the result that you just, you, you just mentioned. This is essential, awesome. um, improving, uh, customer experience and employee experience makes any it executive look good, but for the right reasons, right? The, the, the results are, are real and tangible. Absolutely. Joe, how is it, uh, the best way to, for people to reach out to you uh, to know more about the process and uh, what do you guys do? What's sure. The way? So you can easily throw, I don't know if, if there's a chat or follow-up, but but my email is absolutely the best way. 
Also, you can if you look at uh, at at NTT as uh, you know, if you just just Google NTT's observability, you'll find that uh, that we pop up. Uh, but simply, I don't know if, again if if you're able to to post in. Uh, yeah, I'll post one, but just maybe you can spell it for somebody who's just listening. Sure, it would be J O E dot M A I S S E L at global dot NTT. Awesome. So thank you very much, Joe, uh, for taking the time to chat with me today. Much appreciated. And I, I, we covered quite a bit. And uh, in this completely unscripted conversation, you did amazingly well for me, you know, just, just blasting you with these, uh, these topics and questions. So, again, I much appreciate it. And I'll give you a last chance to blast the, uh, you know, to, to come over and do a little bit of a, a tune. But if not, then we'll, we'll you know. We... Let's make that. Let's, let's, let's do that the next time because this was really <laughs> enjoyable, David. I hope, I hope this isn't the last time we talk. This was an absolute pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much again for joining and for all of those who join us today. Uh, stay safe online as well as offline. I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.